This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at afsp.org slash talkawaythedark. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. All week, we're exploring community investment in Chicago and the type of investment neighborhoods need. It's part of our series, Reimagine Chicago, where we examine how institutions work and how they could work better for you. Today, we take a closer look at how recent mayors have approached economic development. Later, we'll hear from economic development leaders in Chatham on the south side and Little Village on the southwest side. But first, we dig into how Mayor Lori Lightfoot is handling economic investment and how her strategies compare with her predecessors. For analysis, we turn to WBEZ race, class and communities reporter Natalie Moore and Danny Ecker, Crane's Chicago business commercial real estate reporter. Well, you know, she came in on the heels of a mayor in Rahm Emanuel, who was really the champion of downtown investment, right? I mean, Emanuel oversaw this historic rush of companies moving into the central business district and the expansion of the central business district to places like Fulton Market and reshaping industrial corridors. So Lightfoot's entrance was all about the word equity. That was the word you heard more than anything else. And you continue to hear equitable economic growth in Chicago, talking about how downtown was strong, but neighborhoods particularly south and west side neighborhoods, have continued to see the kinds of disinvestment they've seen for decades with major retailers not sticking around and population loss and poor access to public transportation and poverty and crime. You know, these obstacles that were both real and perceived that have long held back some of these neighborhoods. And that's what Lightfoot had vowed to address or at least prioritize more than her predecessor. Is she keeping her word? Uh, well, <laughs> you know, most of her tenure has obviously been dominated by the pandemic. So I think any grade you try to give her on that right now uh, requires a big asterisk. But, you know, and the other caveat is that anyone that's been focused on trying to get community development projects going in south and west side neighborhoods will tell you that this happens very slowly. You know, you don't reverse decades of disinvestment with a few years of investment, um, which I guess can sound like a cop-out, but, you know, it's very real when you look at how hard it is to get projects done. Uh, Mayor Lightfoot has definitely had some notable wins you know, in terms of neighborhood investment. Blue Cross Blue Shield opened a new office in Pilsen and a new community center with, they're hoping to be 500 jobs in Morgan Park. Discover is going to open a call center in Chatham that's slated to bring 1,000 jobs to the neighborhood. Um, There's a big former industrial building near Humboldt Park that's being turned into office space and has the backing of Morningstar founder Joe Mansueto. So generally, there's just been a focus on trying to marshal more of the city's attention on underserved neighborhoods. And that's at the heart of really what her biggest effort has been thus far, uh, which is Invest Southwest, which is the $750 million plan to revive lighted commercial corridors in the south and west sides. 
basically this program is the city picked 10 neighborhoods from the south and west side and focused on commercial corridors within them that they think will make an impact on the surrounding area if they're redeveloped. And the way this worked was the city went through a process where they talked to community members, held town halls, gathered feedback, and said, okay, what blocks or properties should we prioritize and what types of uses should be developed on these sites that would help jumpstart economic development here and get other developers on board? Then they go to the developers and they get bids, and the city is saying, okay, look, developers, we want to make these happen, so we're going to roll out a whole cocktail of tax incentives and public financing to help you, but we need to partner with you. Uh, the city has gone through three rounds of RFPs for different sites. The guy who's overseen this is Planning Commissioner Maurice Cox, took over just before this whole program was launched. And the whole idea is to just get more city departments pulling in one direction for some of these projects. That's been a big challenge. You know, you have one-off developments, things like, you know, think of the Whole Foods in Englewood. That drew a lot of headlines, but, you know, it didn't really have the ripple effect that I think the developers behind it and certainly Mayor Emanuel were hoping for. Yeah. Well, Natalie, it's still early days, but how big of an impact do you expect Invest Southwest to have? Like Danny said, you're not going to reverse decades in a couple of years. But I will say that, uh, you know, Maurice Cox is someone who actually has a planning background. He's considered a visionary in design. And those three RFPs are in Austin. Auburn Gresham and Inglewood, and these are projects that the community has wanted. In Inglewood, for example, an old fire station will transform into a commercial kitchen as part of an eco-food hub, and that's right behind the Whole Foods. I've heard so many council members upbraid him about how he was taking a top-down approach, it didn't involve them, but that's not how the community sees the planning department. Neighborhood groups, have said, you know, in Auburn Gresham, I've never had the city come to me and say, what do you want? And then make it happen. So I think that, you know, depends on what you mean by by top down. I think the department is engaging with the community. And sometimes that hurts Alder's feelings (laughs) if they're not the go-to. Danny, has Mayor Lightfoot focused many resources downtown? Uh, no, not to the same degree Emanuel did, certainly. You know, Rahm Emanuel used leftover TIF money to help entice companies to move their headquarters downtown. Lightfoot has leveraged a lot of some of what Emanuel did, like the Neighborhood Opportunity Fund, getting downtown developers to basically pay money into a fund that would help South and West Side small businesses. But we just haven't seen a lot of the incentivizing of downtown growth, which we probably didn't need to see when before the pandemic started. And, you know, we've seen, I think, more downtown developers, at least, very frustrated with Lightfoot's administration that they aren't giving them the kind of carrots that her predecessor did. You know, they point to the, the new ordinance boosting the amount of required affordable housing and residential projects as an example of, you know, the way she's actually, they think, maybe going to stunt new development in downtown. Natalie, one question that we'll be exploring throughout Reimagine Chicago is why certain neighborhoods have seen so much investment over the years while others haven't. Now, of course, it's a long and multifaceted story. For someone who needs the thumbnail version, how would you break it down? Yeah, I'll try to distill, uh, you know, half a century in in a minute or so. Go. (laughs) Um, You have to use a racial lens when you talk about this. So the neighborhoods that are left behind are black and brown neighborhoods. 
that has vestiges of disinvestment from redlining, predatory housing policies, areas that have unemployment, and areas that businesses have not wanted to invest in, particularly after white flight. Uh, But these neighborhoods do have some density, and they do have some buying power, and you can't write them off as all low-income neighborhoods. I've often found that there is a perception that is there, too, when you're talking about black neighborhoods. We always seem to think that it doesn't matter. Uh, We're in a capitalist society. If it's green, people will go. But there's a lot of data and research out there that shows that stereotypes prevent not just homeowners, but also companies from coming into areas. I, I look at an area like Bronzeville, for example, that had been undergoing revitalization for 20 years, and it took 20 years for a new grocery store to come. And there's a research from University of Illinois at Chicago that shows even when you get higher income households in black neighborhoods, the green, the money does not follow. The capital does not follow like other neighborhoods. One of Richard M. Daly's signature investments, Natalie, is the beautiful Millennium Park. How would you characterize Daly's investment priorities? I think that's a really good symbol. I love Millennium Park. It's beautiful, but it also cost $1 billion. Right. So if you look at that as an investment priority, where could that money have been spent elsewhere? People are generally going to be attracted to downtown through festivals, through housing, through the lakefront. Is that kind of investment really needed there when you already had Grant Park? Sticking with you, Natalie, I want to talk about Mayor Rahm Emanuel, the Chicago Riverwalk, a push for more transit-oriented development, grants for small businesses at the neighborhood level, and of course, the mega projects. I'm thinking of Lincoln Yards and the 78. How would you sum up the Emanuel administration when it comes to investment and economic development? I would say that there was a heavy focus on downtown and mega projects. And you think about Lincoln Yards. I can't help but think about the opportunities that could have been there, not just if that development went elsewhere, but what could be done to reverse some of the effects of segregation and disinvestment that we see what could have been brought there. But I will say, just because the bar was so low with Richard M. Daly, that Mayor Emanuel did do more than his predecessor. The grants that you're referring to going to neighborhoods, the Emanuel administration was to talk about the development that it did in Woodlawn, which has been successful in a little bit in Inglewood. And I think those are important to note, but they do pale in comparison to the Riverwalk and the other mega projects. Danny, Lincoln Yards and the 78, uh, Mayor Emanuel locked those massive projects in shortly before leaving office. So can you just remind us what they are? Sure. What Emmanuel was trying to do, I think the idea was that these are developers that want to invest in major projects that expand the city and would grow the tax base in the long run, which the city needs to do and generate jobs. You know, they haven't yet, but that was the hope. So Lincoln Yards is a 55-acre swath along the north branch of the Chicago River between Lincoln Park and Bucktown where developer Sterling Bay, which is well-known for bringing Google to the Fulton Market District and inventing that neighborhood, they're envisioning 14.5 million square feet of buildings, including some very tall ones. This would be almost like a little city within itself on the north side along the river, commercial and residential projects, and they have recently said they want to have a big focus on life sciences lab facilities there. 
but they have not started work on anything there yet. So it's just a big empty site. The 78 is on the South Loop from Roosevelt Road to Chinatown, 62 acres along the South Branch of the Chicago River. And, you know, similar idea. It's mixed-use campus is what uh, developer-related Midwest is envisioning there. Uh, that would be anchored by the Discovery Partners Institute, which is a University of Illinois-fueled innovation and research center that's going to be built on the southern portion of that property. And they haven't done anything yet. It's just a big, empty site. They basically extended Wells Street through the site as kind of the main thoroughfare. And the other one, actually, that probably should be noted here is the former Michael Reese Hospital site in Bronzeville, or on the border of Bronzeville, just south of McCormick Place, mm-hmm. where that actually has more traction than the other two mega projects. 49 acres that this coalition of developers wants to develop, and they actually already have an anchor tenant that's ready to begin work if they can get the city's sign-off with a 500,000-square-foot building it would be a medical research facility. And I was going to mention um, the Michael Reese project is something that has gone through under Lightfoot. And I do think the difference between that project and the other two mega projects is that the perception is that there has been a lot more community involvement in the Bronzeville project. And if you look at the renderings, you see pictures of Ida B. Wells. Uh, you see some smaller community-based developers who are getting a piece of that project, too, and community members who have said, this is what we want this project to look like. That's WBEZ race class and communities reporter Natalie Moore and Crane Chicago business commercial real estate reporter Danny Ecker. Natalie and Danny, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Sasha. Now let's hear from Chicagoans who are working on economic development at the neighborhood level about what they'd like to see and what their neighborhoods need. In Humble Park, some of the things that we are looking at in terms of community sustainability is to ensure that families have affordable housing. We need a strong commercial corridor where people don't have to leave the neighborhood to spend their dollars. We want to reinvest our dollars and generate wealth right here within our own community. When the looting happened and I went out on 63rd, I couldn't tell what was looted or not because so many commercial spaces are boarded up. So the needs are vast. We just have to start somewhere. And I think the majority of those neighborhoods are saying, hey, we want investment. We want um, new businesses. We want new opportunities for things to come. We just want to make sure that we're part of it. Those were a few voices we've heard from on Reset in neighborhoods like Englewood, Auburn Gresham, South Chicago, and Humboldt Park. Joining us now with their perspectives, we have Nidra Sims-Fears. She's executive director of the Greater Chatham Initiative. Welcome to Reset, Nidra. Oh, thank you, Sasha. It's good to be here. And Yvette Trevino is executive director of the Little Village Chamber of Commerce. Hi, Yvette. Hi, Sasha. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for being here. Uh, I'll start with you, Yvette. We heard from some other folks there in, in a position like yours. They were describing what they'd like to see in terms of investment in their neighborhoods. What would you like to see in Little Village? Yeah, so as far as investment in the neighborhood, the mayor has been really supportive to the Little Village Chamber of Commerce and the Little Village Community Foundation on the Esquina Incubator Cafe project, which will be a safe space for the community to come together to connect and collaborate for adults and youth, where they can come and learn about entrepreneurship and continue their education. I think it's a project that the community definitely needs. Nidra, what about in Chatham? Well, in Chatham, 
I would say that we definitely want more economic development, but economic development that really aligns. So our, our, one of our challenges is that, you know, we have the wards, we have the police district, we have the school districts, and none of them line up. And so it's very hard to make things work when you're working with people that their boundaries don't match your boundaries. And so the city works, but we work hard to work the system as opposed to the system should be easy to work so it works with us. Mm-hmm. What would you say, Yvette, have been some of the primary roadblocks or, or the hurdles to making those dreams a reality? Yeah, well, I think Little Village and a lot of the community organizations here need to be able to be a part of those conversations. So participating in collective conversations with small businesses, nonprofits, corporate, government leaders, about the investment and development coming to Little Village with the city of Chicago, aldermen, and private corporations. Little Village has a lot of economic projects and economic development opportunities, and it shouldn't be seen as something negative so long as you know the residents and the chamber in Little Village are very committed to keeping, preserving, and protecting the cultural identity here in Little Village. Yvette couldn't have said it. Better. The Metropolitan Planning Commission documented that investment follows white people. If we don't get the private sector to the table, we won't realize the fullness that we can be as a community. We're the, one of the richest African-American communities in the United States. So we have great assets. The challenge is trying to separate the silos because uh, the businesses that are here um, don't interact with the community and vice versa. Now, throughout our conversations on investment, we're going to hear some big out-of-the-box ideas for what neighborhood investment could look like. Now, I would imagine in your positions... You're also interested in what's practical and what can make a big difference fast. So what's one thing that would help you make that happen? Yvette, you first. Sure. I think what would be really helpful for my organization here at the Little Village Chamber of Commerce is additional funds to provide access to capital and technical assistance. Little Village has over 500 businesses up and down the business corridor. About 100 of those businesses are restaurants. So I would love the opportunity to be able to provide that technical assistance, business advising to those restaurants, but I need to be able to grow my team. So looking for different grant opportunities so that in return, we can provide those one-on-one consultations for small businesses and help them with whether it's technology barriers, language barriers that the community still faces to this day. It still remains the second most important business corridor in the city of Chicago, generating over 900 million tax revenues annually. So being able to have those programs and resources for small businesses is critical and crucial. Nidra? What I would say is, as, as one of our restaurateurs says, what's the point of getting technical assistance if I don't have the money to execute it? And so thinking very critically about removing the barriers so people can have access to the cash they need so that they can grow their company. So we need common sense things like the Paycheck Protection Program to, so that the businesses can get the money that they need so that they can expand. So that's what I would like to see. That's Nidra Sims Fears of the Greater Chatham Initiative and Yvette Trevino of the Little Village Chamber of Commerce. Nidra and Yvette, thank you so much. Our pleasure. And Yvette, I'm going to give you a call. Sounds good. Look forward to it. (laughs) 
And that's today's Reset. All month on the podcast, we're bringing you our series, Reimagine Chicago, where we ask, how does Chicago work and how could it work better for residents? We're tackling city government, community investment, public safety, and schools. As we roll out this special project, we'll still bring you the weekly news recap every Friday. Thanks for listening, and take a few seconds to leave us a rating and review. It really helps other people find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll meet again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.